I believe Satan knew with humanity now on earth, he couldn't survive seeing the affection between man and the creator. Never mind that the creation could even be like God. So if he could not interrupt the affection, he certainly would shoot to disrupt their attention, right? Their attention and putting it on themselves more, refocusing. Physical identities, which we will talk about more, were leveraged through Adam and Eve by Satan to draw them out of their belonging. When this happens, look how well we're all doing as humans, right? God designed for our souls to relate with our designed identities in this physical world. Until the book of Acts came along, the Holy Spirit was not living in humanity, right? We know that. So it was our soul. After the fall, God still wanted his creation to belong to him. And thank you, God, right, that he still wanted us. Moving forward, God used covenant promises and laws, mainly through the Old Testament, to, kin- to continue to, to thread the needle of that belonging to humanity. I mean, you think of many faith giants in the Old Testament, but just one, or I'll just go over two, Abraham, right? Abram, that was his first name. God wanted to work through a physical identity when he told him he was going to be the father of many nations. And what did he do? Change his name. And even told him to move out of Mesopotamia into a new land where his people would reside. Some of us as Christians need to move out of some locations in our life to remember who we belong to. The reality of that. So even... taking it every further as we know God said hey you're going to be a father in many nations and I'm going to give you a son God knew they were all old folks right no disrespect but they were old right that that didn't physically going to happen so Abraham and Sarah forgetting who they belonged to basically decided to make things happen on their own and we know what happened there you look at Moses You know, Moses had an identity crisis (laughs) going up. If there was a reality show called, you know, the River Shores, Nile River Shores, you know, is he Hebrew? Is he Egyptian? What is he, right? But over time, he was able to find out whose he belonged to. And he was able to step up to what God wanted to do in his life. You know, in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, when he's talking to the Israelites, God's people, the chosen people, he says, for you are the holy to the, excuse me, for you, Israel, are a people holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you and all of the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. As we know, when they were on their way to the promised land, potentially the new Eden, right? Many of God's chosen didn't feel so chosen. They really didn't. Even physically seeing the, the, the sea split, right? The Red Sea split, excuse me. Basically, they forgot who they, whose they were, and they began to even think back to Egypt, as we know. They were leaning on their physical identities and not their belonging. Numbers 14.4, we see... Again, with the Israelites. So we are saying 
it to one another. Let's pick a new leader and head back to Egypt. Exodus 16.3, the Israelites, again, it's building, it's building. They talk to Moses, you brought us out to starve and die in this wilderness, wanting to go back to Egypt. They were focusing on their environment, which begins to attach to their identity. Their identity was at that time tiredness, uncertainty, nowhere, which is a place, by the way. Knowing whose you are when standing in crises, especially in this day and age, is so vitally important. Bless you. When you steer away from knowing your belongings, you, you, knowing you belong to the Lord, you begin to close so many doors for God to work in your life. So the good thing is God didn't give up, right? He kept getting closer and closer to wanting humanity to bring back to him. And in the New Testament, as we know, Jesus came on the scene. God pays the greatest price of his son being the price tag to buy us back. Excuse me. It was pretty much a spirit-sealing deal that God made. As Christians, we know now we have his spirit in us and whose we are now under this new covenant. So Christ dies on the cross. Paul, basically in 1 Timothy 1, chapter 1, says Jesus was born to die. He was born to die. Satan did not see this coming at all, as we know, because he could not conceive that God's love would go this far, excuse me, far for humanity. We see this in Paul here again when he's in Galatians 2.20. Can you put that up on the screen? I am crucified with Christ. There's our belonging right in there. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself. So Paul is talking about whose we are there. John writes in John 1.12, But as many as received him to them gave the power to become the sons of God child of God, even to them that believes on his name. So we're, these apostles are talking about the great event that Jesus did on the cross. And when we talk about this, it's whose we are. We are sons and daughters of God. Apostle Peter wrote this very confidently in 1 Peter 2.9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, peculiar people. I've been called that sometimes. That ye should be shown forth the praises of him that called you out of darkness. What that means, called you out of darkness, you're not left to define yourself, define yourself but into his marvelous life. Knowing who you are. And we know this as believers, especially those who've been around long enough. Bring some benefits in life. Because our dad's got our back, right? Whose we are. I have about eight I want to go over. And we know these, but they all culminate together if we are grounded in the identity of whose who's we are. First one, number one, you can abide in him. Psalm 91 talks about this. For you to dwell in the secret place, you need to know whose you are. Right? 
I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress. That sounds like protection to me. That's number one. Number two, provision. Physical needs met. We know this. We see this as a church community in different areas. People's needs being met. Physically, healing, food on the table, finances, provision and wisdom like the book of James talks about. Provision of joy when we need strength like in Nehemiah. Provision, knowing whose you are. Number three, peace. So important, especially in today's age. Philippians 4, 7, we know this, talks about gaining the peace that passes what? Even when you don't understand. Or there are so many unknowns. Why did this happen this way and didn't happen that way? The peace will come knowing whose you are. Number four, confident obedience. Say, what, Chris? How's obedience a benefit? (laughs) But it is. Because the more obedient you are, the closer you get to covenant that God's provided. So you need to know that. Knowing whose you are allows you to trust in the more in the act of obedience. Number five, Holy Spirit moments. Yes, falling on the ground when you get prayed for, those are fine and dandy. Those are the tangible things of God. But how about Holy Spirit moments where Holy Spirit whispers to you many times, telling you of things to come or giving you clarity in each situation? Whose you are, that'll happen. Number six, good representation. I say good representation of God while on the earth, where we are only here to give glory to him. When the world points at you and says, who are you? Giving glory to God. Good representation in everything you do. Which kind of leads to number seven. If I know whose I am, I can rest in an offensive mode. And I would always be in a defensive mode in my soul. You know, life is not a game, but last time I checked, the offense scores more points than defense. Maybe not with the Patriots last year, but they do. They do. So some of us Christians are so defensive stanced in everything. Rest in whose you are gives you more of an offensive mode in your soul. Number eight, his love. When you know whose you are, you get to grow in his love for you. That you are loved, you'll know that. And not only that you are loved, but the people around you are loved. And your love for them that he has in you will spill over. It'll even spill over to the people you like and the people you don't agree with. I'll say it that way, right? It will. His love will help you grow and strengthen your soul and your identity. Number nine and finally, knowing whose you are will give you a much deeper prayer life, which is so important. Because you can rest in that he is hearing you and that you are hearing him when you need to quiet. Shut your mouth. (laughs) But sadly, many Christians through their life sit on this fence, right? Living out the what's and who's that define them and not commit to the who's. That can get very tiring because I've tried it a few times can get very tiring. Apostle John said this, we know this, I must decrease so you can 
right? So important. Another scripture that is, is vital in knowing whose I am is James 1, 15. I think it's James 1, 15. I have the message translation. I'm just going to read that one. And we know this one, but in this context. Every perfect gift comes from God. Nothing deceitful comes from God. Plain and simple. So at the end of the day, if I know whose I am, all I need to know is anything outside of God is not worth it. Right? How to know the inside and stay away from the outside. How do we do this as Christians? Stay in that word every day. Stay and meditate and pray in that word idea every day because that is your blueprint. All right, well, let's talk about the second part of today's message. We're talking, it's all related to whose I am. But I can't get away from talking about your identity. There's a lot to talk about. I'm trying to be very concise and quick with this. So God designed identities. They are not anybody's real problem. God designed identities. It's when they are under the influence of environments and events in your life that are not from God. We need a little bit of a definition. I know we know identity, but let's just, because I'm a definition guy, let's just do it. Here's a few definitions. One definition, the distinguishing character or personality of an individual, identity. Another one, the quality of a person or group that makes them different from others. So these identities I'm talking about today that that are God, again, God-designed identities are really manifested in our physical realm, right? Your gender, your skin tone, your personality, your passion, And even that fun thing called emotions. Those are all part of your identity that God has designed. Now there's a lot more far surface identities like your job and things like that. We're not talking about that. These again, and I apologize for redundancy, but I want to hit it home. These are God designed identities. Identities can help answer the questions who you are in life, but they are not meant to truly define us because of whose we belong to. With this understanding, I can move an inch further. I hope not to be an equal opportunity offender today. Those who chuckled, those who didn't chuckle were already offended, so we'll keep moving. All right. We need to also, we need to as Christians celebrate and acknowledge these God-designed identities. They influence our soul which influences our heart. In addition, with the Holy Spirit in us as being born again, folks, that Holy Spirit, in addition, complements all those things we just said that I just mentioned. Some Christians choose not to recognize God-designed identities in themselves or even in others. Michael Jr. has a word for that. You're oversaved. You're oversaved because you're not recognizing some of the God designs that are in you and those around you as well, where you're more heavenly relevant than earthly at times. Jesus was pretty earthly relevant when he was here doing his father's work. 
when God made identities, especially what we just talked about, those, the, the, the gender, the personality, the passion, when they come together, good things happen in the body of Christ. They can also lead to this word unity yeah, through diversity. We are cheating ourselves as Christians if we don't recognize these identities in ourselves and others. And certainly, from a loving God, it's not his will for any God-designed identities to be suppressed, whether by skin tones, nationality, or gender, male and female, by the way. Okay? It's not God's heart. As Christ followers, our identity shouldn't define us totally like the world, but it should help us shine his light through us in our unique ways of his design. And when you do need to celebrate our identities, you may need to know the past and the present and the future of those identities. We have many women, men, black, white, Hispanic in this church community that God has designed. And that is our, because you are here, you are the church, you are the bride of Christ, it says. And if you're the bride of Christ, you're about unity. Jesus is not coming back for multiple brides. He's not polygamist. Unity in the church is so important. And we can have that because we know whose I am. We can rest in that. Absolutely rest in that. It's getting quiet. So, Let's agree on this. We know when Christ was on the earth, he was here to do his father's business, right? Throughout his time in ministry, he recognized people with different identities. He did. He would use these identities to bring people together for the greater good to serve his father's mission. Jesus, a Jew, saving a Samaritan woman and then her whole Samaritan community a Roman soldier asking Jesus to heal a servant. Jesus knew he was a Roman soldier and what Rome stood for, but he also saw a man wanting another person whole in that desire. So celebrating identities, we need to do it. We are all uniquely and wonderfully made, right? And Psalms isn't. God's designed what we have in this room. No government can make it happen. No intentional plan. I'm a big planner. Nobody can plan this except God. And we need to celebrate that. So let's talk about influences in our identity. Still part of that second part. When the world begins to define identities... They can always redefine them, right? And most likely in the name of individualism. Our culture is so loud now and sharp to speak and to act and to accuse. And what can come out of this, as we know, from a sewing matter, even as Christians and giving it, we could create labels to one another. Labels are great in the families. You know, I had a grandma, 
I do have her. Thank you. She's still alive. 97 a few days ago, my dad's mom. So, yes, 97. Yes. So I had a grandmother. Man, that's a long... I have a grandmother. Dad, I'm one. I have a grandmother. And every time I would go to the store with her for a simple one product, a gallon of milk. It should only take like 10 minutes, right? About 40, 50 minutes later, we were now getting into the car to finally leave. Not that Grandma was all indecisive, but she was a talker. She would talk to anything that moved, anything. So for me and the family, I could label her as a what? A talker, right? Because I've done, I've gone to the grocery store over and over with her many trips when she lived with us. So I have experience to label her as a talker. We had an uncle would always come over, come into the living room, watch some TV. By 6.30, he is snoring away. Gone. See ya. Not even before, before we ate dinner, he was snoring away. So I could call that family member a what? A snorer, right? I've experienced it over and over. However, take away from experiences that we may have, and even as believers, and what I think the culture is with this cotton candy perspective of labeling, I can't label somebody that I haven't really experienced for a long period of time. So we need to be very careful non-believers, Christians, and how we label people because those labels, as we dish them out, can attach to our identity and try to redefine us. And sometimes those labels not be, might be true across the whole board. If I only went to the store with my grandma once and it took 50 minutes to two hours to get back to the car, can I truly say she's a talker? Well, maybe she just had a good day. She wanted to talk to somebody. You understand what I'm saying? Hopefully that makes a little sense. Don't worry. I know it's getting a little uncomfortable. I'm moving on. So I want to talk about some things that will attach to our identity as receiving things. And we just talked about labels and dishing things out. And again, receiving labels is just just as dangerous, too, when you're being called things. But now I want to talk about receiving things that can happen. So as I mentioned, some of these physical identities try to attach to us because of certain events or environments that happen to us that are not godly. I'm going to try and do this. These are my props. So, what can attach to my identity sometimes? Jealousy. I think my wife made me write this one. Control. Worthlessness, they're speaking to me. Don't worry, I only got a few. Wounded, I'm hurt. But we got some nesses coming, I think. Fearfulness, all right? Ah, that's a big one too. Insecurity. I have some more in here, I know. Selfishness. 
These are all real things because they're sticking to me. Loneliness. And you could probably cover everything in the back of different things that people in our society and even including Christians are dealing with that are attaching to them. But if we're allowed, even as Christians, to let these stick for too long, they'll reach into our soul, reach into our heart, and grieve our spirit. And we'll create a whole new identity, and we will forget who we belong to. I wanted to read a song. I know, he always reads songs when he's up here. But I think without the accompanying of music, it's almost like poetry. So I do like poetry. This is a song, I believe, that was written by the Gaither Trio. I know anybody over 45 said, oh, yeah, Gaither Trio. And anybody under 45 said, what is a Gaither Trio, right? But this song speaks to us. And it can change your life because you'll go and understand that you are a child of God because of whose you are. I'm going to get a little cinematic too, so enjoy this with me. As I'm reading this song, I'm going to take these stickers off, okay? All right, we'll get emotional. So here we go. I never understand how... He saw a piece of clay and said, I want it. I'll use it. The greatest mystery is that somehow, in spite of me, he said, I'm going to love you. Come on, guys. He took me in his arms, said, this child belongs to me. He placed me in his kingdom. Now I live like royalty. It's not because of what I am. It's not because of what I've done. It's because of whose I am. I'll never understand. While I was yet a slave, he said he'd buy me. He'd save me. He'd clothe himself in flesh. Thank you, Jesus. Became the final sacrifice so I could know redemption. He took the stripes upon his back so that I could walk in health he Then he broke the chains of death, and now I can live forevermore. It's not because of what I am. It's not because of what I've done. It's because of whose I am. My father, <laughs> he's Lord of everything. From here beyond forever, he's given me his name, said that if I asked anything in his name, he gladly give it. He put a robe upon my back, placed a ring upon my hand, said the riches of heaven were all mine. It's not because of who I am. It's not because of what I've done. But because he first loved me and his grace, thank you, Lord, has set me free. His blood is flowing through my veins. I'm adopted by the king. It's because of whose I am. Such a powerful song, huh? And if you can meditate on that, I don't think you'd be clapping as much if I sang it, but, um, but that's okay. But that is such a powerful song. It does. It really does. So to begin to slowly land this plane, 
Oh, wait, no, I have one more song. What, you know, another great song is, um, I won't go through the whole thing, but it's in action of whose we are and our identity. It's a song by Casting Crowns. And it's basically, um, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, I'm living for the world to see. Not me, nobody but Jesus, right? And if we can rest in whose we are, we can sing that and we can walk that out in our life. We were made for his good pleasure. And your identities were designed to complement that relationship with him and others around you. Your spirit, the Holy Spirit, can guide and influence your soul and your identities. In Philippians 2.13, For it is God which works in both you to will and to do his good pleasure. We've got a loud world around us. We know that. Every day there's something that speaks at us and wants to attach to our identities. And it's so vitally important to know whose you are. So vitally important. As humans, we also have another common denominator. We are all weak outside of God. All weak. Know how nice you look when you dress up? Keep your mascara on from running. We're all weak outside of God. That weakness is not a sin or a shame that, the, that Satan would like to tell you it is. We are fragile humans. We were designed that way. We were fragile because we need to have a belonging to something greater than ourselves. If you're a person that struggles with any of these things, they're real. You need to rest in God's love. Get help. Talk to somebody in our church any local church. If you have a brother and sister in Christ, you can share. Do that. Satan wants to create these barriers that weakness is a sin, or that it resembles that you did something dramatically wrong. At the cross, all that was washed away. God wants you to know that you are a child of a God and belong to him. 2 Corinthians 12.9, we know this one. Grace, his grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect. And whose weakness? His? No. Ours. Our weakness. Our weakness. It's so important to know that our spiritual identity is in whose I am, which is a child of God. If the world could see a church that understands this fully, Christ will sooner come, I know that, because he'll be, he'll be running up the aisle for his bride. He'll be running up the aisle for his bride. Hope you got something out of today. I hope you do. Don't clap. Slap. Give him glory. I know I'm prompting the band quicker than I thought. We're going to get out of here at 10.50. Don't tell my dad. He's probably watching online.
Let's end in some prayer here. Lord, Heavenly Father, you're just an amazing Father. We are nothing and can do nothing of value without you. We cannot. We're so thankful that you bought us back. You bought us back with your son. And through Jesus, Lord, we know that veil was torn and you restored that relationship that you so much desired to have with us. Lord, if there's people watching online or in this room that are struggling with things that are attaching to their God-designed identity, We speak straight to where that came from. Satan, you have no right to try and stick anything that is not of our creator on our identities to reach our soul, to reach our mind, and to grieve any of our spirit as Christians. We have authority over you, Satan and bind you from any further seducting and seducing methods that you try and shoot towards any of our brothers and sisters in Christ. They are children of the King, sons and daughters, and you must bow down to the name of Jesus in their life. Lord, bring people around him that can be only but encouragers. Encouragers because they know they are children of God as well. And help guide them to a healing process. Lord, and for those that are, that are, that are strong and believe they are knowing that they are children of God, Lord, continue to protect them through these different benefits we talk to. Be alongside and be in them, Lord as they continue to stand for what you want done in this earth to help build your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just real quickly, if there is anybody watching online or here that would say...